What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast, Tuesday Night Live, powered by our friends over at X2. And as you can see tonight, it is I, the captain, Andrew Full, all by himself. Bailey is running a muck down in Alabama with the X2 guys doing some filming. Um, maybe a special podcast coming, a little prelude there for you. And I think he's hanging out with like Wes Logan, Hunter Shryock, Justin Atkins, and a few other guys. And rumor has it that Jack some fish today on Neely Henry. So I'm excited for him to talk about that once he gets back here to New York. Um, but some news here, Adam Deacon, Business from the Bass Boat host, you noticed uh, yesterday that there was not a Business from the Bass Boat episode, and that was for good cause. He was up there in Idaho fishing the ABA Team Trail Championship Regional, um, which was on Coeur d'Alene, I do believe is how you pronounce the lake, and he, I believe he finished second. And then there was another tournament the final day to fish for a boat. I don't think he did so well there, but congrats to Deacon for a really good finish up there in the Pacific Northwest. And I myself fished a really big Canadian smallmouth tournament over the weekend. Didn't go the way I wanted it to. We caught a ton of fish. Our practice was stellar. Uh, we fished for like an hour on Friday and had almost 20 pounds with a big five-pounder, which is a really big fish for the Upper Niagara. And on Saturday, we had 16 and change in the boat in the first like half hour, and then we just couldn't get a big bite once the sun came out. It, it was a dang shame. I had really high hopes for it. We finished 32nd out of 100, which had just about every big stick in it from Canada in my region of Ontario, right across the border. Like, not like the Johnston brothers or anything like that, but guys like Paul Castellano, Bob Azumi, uh, and just general big names on that side of the border. But uh, tonight we have a really awesome show for you. We have Louis Minetti coming on, who is the college classic bracket champion which is a huge feat and he also qualified for the Bassmaster Classic so without further ado let's get Lewis on here and learn about his story a little bit what's going on man how you doing what's going on dude I'm doing great how are you oh first I'm pretty good first of all I want to say congratulations on the giant victory um that had to have been like a huge relief and I would assume a childhood dream of yours yeah no I mean uh a, a relief Honestly, I, that is one of the better ways to put it, um, and and a dream. I mean, that's something that I don't think will set in for a little while, but it, it absolutely is. Um, but no, going back to it being a relief, dude, it totally is because you know, as I'm sure we'll get into, um, I, I kind of planned on pursuing some sort of a career in fishing um, for a while now, and obviously that comes with the price tag of the opens and a boat and a truck and and the whole nine. So to have won that tournament and, and know that that's kind of going to be covered for at least next year is just a huge relief, honestly. Yeah. I, I wonder if Mercer will announce as you walk on that classic stage, Bassmaster classic was a college classic bracket champion. Yeah. That's so a big deal, man. It's, best it the is. Best. And it's a mouthful. That's yeah. one thing. That, it is know, a mouthful. My tongue definitely got twisted. The, the title <laughs> is a mouthful. It's it's kind of tough. I, I, I don't know if they could shorten it to just bracket or, I don't know, college bracket or something. But, no, yeah, it, it is awesome. 
I don't know if you can see the comments on the screen, but uh, Chris yeah. said, please do not change the seats in your boat. I'm Which, not playing them. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the Ranger 96 here in uh, well, the 96 Ranger here in a little bit. But um, before we get too much into the tournament itself of the college classic bracket, um, tell the viewers about yourself, who Louis Manetti is, where you grew up. Um, your tournament fishing history, even just general fishing history, where you started, who taught you, why, etc. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in Brielle, New Jersey. Um, it's a little like kind of sea town in, in uh, New Jersey on the coast there, kind of central Jersey. Um, and I got into fishing when I was super young, probably like most of us, you know, I was three, four years old. Um, but always saltwater. Um, you know, we I grew up just fishing stripers and blues, and my dad had a boat, um, and, and we'd go out and catch everything. Um, I was just addicted to it, and, you know, it was all I wanted to do. Um, when I was probably 11 or 12 years old, one of my buddies, um, Gavin, he'd be like a high school buddy of mine, or not high school, grade school buddy of mine, um, he's like, dude, you got you to gotta try out bass fishing, which – to me at the time felt like the lamest thing on planet earth. Like I, I wanted no part in it. Um, he finally convinced me to get out and I was just hooked by it. Um, by the time, I mean, year or two later, I started, you know, working on figuring out how to get into like youth tournaments and, and kind of the youth fishing scene. I see my buddy Trevor in there I actually fished uh, my first tournament out of his boat. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Yeah. So, and now I don't mean to cut you off here, but no. like central New Jersey, right? Is that like Lake Hapakon area? So is so that like the home lake for you? No. So that, that's Trevor's home lake. Um, <laughs> See? <laughs> I grew up uh, probably about an hour and 45 south of there. Um, okay. So central Jersey, it's it's nothing but small little like kind of ponds, honestly. Um, you know, like 100 to 300 acre ponds. Um, and then a couple of reservoirs that you know, are still no bigger than, I don't know, five, 600 acres, um, all electric only, you know, that whole deal. That That's kind of what I grew up fishing. Um, and, and it's, it kind of set me up to be who I am as a fisherman, um, fishing those kind of small places. You know, you you learn to fish around people. You learn how to get more bites than, than I guess, you learn how to get bites behind people. Um, you learn how to fish comfortably around people and, you know, I'm kind of a finesse um, fish for, for bites instead of – and quantity of bites instead of the big bite. And I think just fishing in that area definitely, like, kind of grew me to that. Um, from from there, though, I went to – I fished high school for one year. It was kind of in its youth in Jersey. It was, it was only the first year or two that Jersey had high school fishing. Made the high school national championship and completely sucked on Kentucky Lake. It was, like – a whole different world to me. Yeah, we, um, we could talk about that for a second. There, there was what like three hundred boats in those Kentucky Lake Derbies. Yeah, and it would always go to somebody who lived on Kentucky Lake, and they would blow the doors off of everyone else for like seven years in a row. Yeah, no, I, I think there was. I, I could be wrong on this, but I believe there were three hundred and twenty boats. <sighs> in the in the natty that I fished. So, so we're going from little ponds to. 
basically hundreds of thousands of acres in body yeah. in dangers, shell bars, rock bars that you have to be aware of. That's a that's just intimidating in itself. Yeah, it, it was it was a very eye-opening experience. Um, and I think it kind of led me to to do what I wanted to do in fishing, um, which was go and fish in college and, and kind of figure out the southern deal. Um by the time I was in like later high school, um, you know, I, I joined the nation, the Bass Nation in New Jersey, um, kind of toured me around some of the bigger bodies of water in the region, um, you know, Chesapeake Bay, Potomac River, uh, Oneida Lake, Champlain, just a whole bunch of different places. Um, and so I kind of got a taste for those bigger bodies of water. And then as I got older, I got a boat and went and fished all these places and, and actually ended up building a really like close, I guess, relationship with the St. Lawrence river. It's to this day, my favorite place on planet earth. Um, but anyways, you know, that, that experience on Kentucky Lake really kind of drove me to want to go down South and figure out just Southern fishing because it was completely different to me. Um, and I ended up going to UNC Charlotte and fished for four years and kind of here we are. Yeah, it's awesome, man. So, salt water. It's funny that you talk about like the salt water, the bass stuff, right? Like the shoreline. Usually, it's the opposite direction. Bass guys go to salt water, then they're completely ruined. But you flip the switch, which is pretty neat. So then you went down to college in Carolina, right? Like that's yeah. where it is. The 49ers, I believe, is a Carolina school. I, I know a little bit. I've read some on you. I'll, I'll be blatantly honest, like. I was more intrigued by the tournament <laughs> yeah. and how that goes. And that's what we're going to be talking about. But was that, it's not coastal Carolina, is it? 49? No, so no, UNC Charlotte. Got it. Okay. Sorry. My ignorance there. I apologize on it. No but, worries. Yeah. So you go from New Jersey to Carolina and become a college fishing, basically phenom at this moment because you won <laughs> the tournament, right? So let's talk about your college fishing days here. Now that you're graduated out of college, you're on to the next step of life. So this is basically your last college tournament that you won. We're going to mm -hmm. be diving into that. But uh, let's talk about your college tournament history real fast before we go forward. Yeah, so um, to answer your question in comments, I have not fished the classic water, so nobody give me any tips. I can't take them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the college fishing phenom part, although I do appreciate the uh, the, the notion, it, it, it took until <laughs> the last tournament I fished to get to that. Um, I, I definitely started off, I, I don't want to say started off slow, the first uh, college bass tournament like BASS, um, that I fished, I actually top 10. Um, but I, I kind of had an interesting college career. Um, my first year, my first three years, I, I fished alone, um, qualified for two bass national championships and one FLW, I think. And I still refer to it as FLW, regardless of what the people say. <laughs> yeah, I, I find myself doing that too. And don't get me wrong, the BPT Major League Fishing are doing some incredible things on the conservation side. It's yeah. just for me, everything was always BASS and FLW fishing I, worldwide. I and couldn't it'll, agree more. It'll always resonate to me to that side. Growing up watching both of them on TV, like yeah. at eight, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, it's just where it's stuck. And then, uh, yeah, so do you want to dive into the tournament now? 
Yeah, no, we, we absolutely can. Yeah. So, well, actually, yeah, let's dive into the tournament. Day practice, right? Yeah. So how did practice go for you during the derby? So it was interesting. Um, kind of going into it. So we won, M- Michael and I, who's in the chat, my boy, um, we won team of the year this year. And that's what qualified us for the bracket. Um, Congratulations. Again. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um but last year was the first year that team of the year qualified for the bracket. And then this year, the second, obviously. So we qualified and kind of went in the national championship on Winya Bay, whatever. Um, but we had to stick around until the final day of the national championship, because that was when the other competitors would be announced the top three from the national championship. Um, and then they would tell that we had like a mini meeting there on day three. This is where the bracket's going to be. This is what you need to know. Yada, yada. So they announced to us that um, it was going to be on Greenwood. Glenn did. Glenn Kale. He's the uh, youth nation director, college, high school, and youth um, for Bass these days. And, uh, yeah, so he announced that it was on Lake Greenwood. And I was kind of psyched. And I kind of feel like everyone maybe thought that it was because I was the UNC Charlotte guy, you know, local. I'd fished it. I'd never seen the place before. (laughs) And that was why I was excited. Um, when I think about, you know, fall fishing, I think about kind of tough fishing the moment, kind of fishing what's in front of you and all of that. So when I thought, when I, when I figured out there was somewhere I'd never been, I was honestly psyched because I feel like there's no better way to, to fish that way than to never have seen the place you're going to fish. Yeah. So you can basically just broke down the map, like in pre-practice and be like, these are all the high percentage areas on this lake. And if I put high percentage bite baits in front of them, I'm probably going to get bit if there's a good population of bass. This is probably the way you were thinking going into it, I'm assuming. So kind of. Yeah. Um, basically, <laughs> what I kind of did is, is I looked at the lake and and my previous Carolina fishing experience kind of leads me to the bottom end of lakes. Um, I don't know if it's partially because I have a small boat and I'm never able to run to the top end of the lakes or, or what really it is. But I like fishing clean water. Like I said, coming from the north and having like a small mouth background, I always like fishing clean water. It's where I feel the most comfortable. And typically the bottom ends of these Carolina lakes is where you find that. Um, on top of that, just from from tournaments and, you know, watching a lot of tournaments and fishing a bunch of tournaments in the area, I've kind of found that the biggest fish – in these Carolina dammed impoundments with no current tend to be at the bottom end of the lakes. Now they're oftentimes the hardest to catch because of the clear water. And um, a lot of times the ramps on these lakes are, are down near the bottom. So that's where fish that are either caught or pressured. pressured. Yeah. So I, I, I always just feel most comfortable down there because it just kind of sets up for me. And then on top of that, I really tried to stay away from the lake as far as studying, I, I kind of had a feeling I would stay towards there, but just because of weather and all that, I really, really didn't want to focus on it. And then when we heard that the hurricane was coming through Hurricane Ian, um, it was supposed to hit us a lot harder than it did. But when, when it kind of was evident that it was going to come through, I knew that the bottom end was where I needed to stay just from the potential of the top end blowing out and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's smart. Very smart. Um, hmm. So, 
What keyed you into the baits that you threw on day one through your practice? And then yeah. we'll jump right into day one if you want to take it away from there. Yeah, no, so my practice, I'll, I'll dive into practice a little bit just because it's kind of interesting how I approached it. Um, it's going to make me sound really smart, but if it didn't work out, it, it could have sounded really, it could sound really stupid. Um, so we're practice, fishermen. We have stories to tell, right? And <laughs> exactly. they all make us sound really smart or really dumb. So yes. it's the way it goes. It's the most humbling sport and the most gratifying sport that we can choose to do. Yeah. So yeah. Let, let's talk about practice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you, you couldn't have put it any better. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so practice was interesting because same reasons as, as how I kind of approached the week of and where I was going to fish. That storm was coming. Um, and as of that practice day, I think it was Thursday. There's supposed to be Thursday practice day, Friday seating day, and then day one Saturday. Um, seating day ended up being canceled, but not till the morning of. So we didn't know we wouldn't have seating day. Um, but the hurricane was really supposed to hit on Friday and it kind of really didn't, but it was supposed to hit hard. Um, so the way I approach practices after about the first two hours, I said, you know what, I'm not going to let a bite shallow and I don't want to go around and try and figure out the shallow bite because this storm is going to turn it upside down. Whatever is going on shallow, whether it be from rainwater coming in or wind muddying up banks or whatever the case may be. I just want to stay away from the shallow bite because I didn't want to be deterred by something that wasn't happening in practice that the storm turned upside down. So I totally stayed away from it and I graphed a lot at deep, which is totally weird to me and something I don't do often. Um, and I did that just because I felt like those would be the most stable fish. And being that there's a bunch of small spotted bass in the lake, I felt like it could be something that if I figured out something deep, I would have kind of a, nerve cooling, confidence boosting, small limit to start with. Um, so going into day one, that was kind of my whole plan um, was to just go shallow and, or I'm sorry, go deep, get a limit, go shallow, burn the bank, see what happened. Um, really just fish the conditions, fish the moment. Um, so what ended up happening is, is I'm, I'm running down the lake to, you know, kind of one of the first areas I want to start and, running down the lake and kind of like get a glimpse out of my eye and being a Carolina guy, I know about fall fishing and fall green light fishing. And if you're not from the Carolinas or, you know, haven't spent some time down here, fish maybe at night some, you might not know about it, but in the fall, green lights are what you want. Um, whether you're night fishing, whether it's a starting spot, whatever it is. And I happen to spot one out of the quarter of my eye running down the lake did a 180, went over there and caught two solid keepers right off the bat. So that was kind of like a root. That was honestly, that was my nerve settler. Like hmm. have two, I mean, one was, I think a pound and a half, the other a pound and three quarters. And for that, for Greenwood at that time of the year, it was, that was like better than average solid start. It's like gold. Um, yeah. Honestly, catching, catching a better than pound and a half fish was like, trivial at times so that was really an awesome start and then i ended up going out offshore dragging around with a carolina rig for probably two or three hours um filled out my limit with tiny ones hit the bank and almost instantly caught a four pounder four pound largemouth um caught it on a v-twin buzz bait that we make at 
Biz Bates True South. It was kind of an awesome fish catch. If you haven't seen the live footage, it's sick. Um, and then kind of meddled around the rest of the day and noticed that the buzz bait bite wasn't what I thought it would be. Um, I had a lot of fish kind of grabbing the tail, just not getting the bait good. And the last two hours ended up switching to a little Whopper Plopper 90 and getting two really solid calls and uh, kind of really felt good going into day two because of that. Yeah, that's quite the adjustment too. noticing that they were just biting the buzz bait a little off and be like, you know what? Let me go to a Whopper Plopper, which is a treble hook bait to where if they do slap at it, you have a better hookup possibility. Now, when they got the plopper, were they hooked like on the outside of the mouth because they were coming up and basically pushing it, or do they actually get it? What yes, that bait so adjustment? Those two at the end of the day, they did not have it great. Like they definitely, I don't know if they, it was because they were missing or what, but it seemed like they were trying to eat it. Um, like the aggressive blow ups and the whole nine, but they just weren't getting it in their mouth. Just like you said, kind of side of the face. And that's exactly what my, my thought process was, was, you know, maybe a couple of these fish, even if it's half of them that are, that are kind of blowing up on this buzz bait so hard. And I mean, like crushing that thing and I'm reeling it and just never feeling any tension. Like the bait goes under, you know, the blow up is huge. And I just, I'm reeling that buzz bait and nothing ever happens. So that kind of keep me into exactly what you said. Treble hooks, maybe a couple of these fish that are slapping at it, I can hook. And I think I went like two for three on bites the rest of the day in the last hour. And uh, that that really, I was I felt super confident about that bait day two. Yeah, and that day two was like the arrived day, right? Like you blew it out of the water. You caught <laughs> 16 pounds, 14 ounces. Yeah. It's almost 17 pound bag in the Carolinas in like late September, early October, fall, like that's incredible. Like it was it all on the plopper because of that like minor adjustment. So it was interesting. Um, that day too was just a special day. I, I, I was, it was cool enough. I had a bunch of my buddies um, come down and follow me around all, all the whole tournament. And we all kind of got off the water and, you know, they announced you're moving on tomorrow and it was big, you know, it was awesome. And we all kind of, a couple of my buddies got together and looked at each other and were like, whatever happened out there, it was just special. Like, just one of those days. Um, excuse me. Um, but the day, it didn't start off great. Um, I, I started off on that green light, didn't catch, I think, about one tiny one. Um, and started just burning bank with that plopper. And for some reason, missed one or two and thought to myself, okay, maybe I need to go back to that buzz bait. Maybe they'll lead it better. Threw that thing out there, had one do the same thing, and it looked like a big one, and I was just kind of beat. <laughs> um, and I'm going to further down this one bank, lose like a three-pounder on the plopper. Like, I was just – it was a mess the first oh, hour. Talk, you could have had a head case. Your tournament could have been over at that point. So yeah. how did you persevere through that um, little bit of a dilemma you were dealing with in that first, like, hour of the derby? Yeah, no, it was – I was, like, kind of <laughs> – shook um i especially because i had changed the trebles on that thing the night before just so that like super like make as much sure of the yeah. you know slap at fish getting in the boat as possible so i sat down changed out the trebles again and ran across the lake I, i've been doing this now for a couple of years where if something happens if it's a bad start or 
you know, even halfway through the day, something's up and, you know, I'm just, I'm noticing, finding myself in a bad head space. I'll just make a run. Like doesn't matter where it could be somewhere. I know it could be somewhere. I don't know. I just make a run just like a head clearing restart, push the button kind of let's go. So I make a quick little run just like right across the lake with like a pound and a half for in the boat and almost instantly catch a six pounder. It's like, you know, there's never anybody who is mad while driving a bass boat. So like <laughs> that did kudos to you. Like that. And that's an important part, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. having a mental, not like a mental breakdown or a mental issue, but you're just having a mentally challenging day or situation that happens while you're on the water. Sometimes having just that subtle reset and you know what it takes to reset your mind could be such an advantage that mm-hmm. nobody really talks about while tournament fishing because it's yeah. such a mentally strong game, right? Like any little mm. thing breaking off a big one, your day could have been ruined, but you adjusted and ran across the lake and caught a six pounder. Dude, <laughs> that that's awesome. Continue because I want to hear about the rest of this day too. <laughs> yeah, no, and even before I get into it, I, I kind of want to elaborate on your point. Um I don't know if it's just because of, you know, my resources and having the old boat and, and you know, I'm, I'm honestly, like, to be as honest as possible, I'm not an incredibly um, great technical fisherman. I don't think, actually, if you watch the live, you know I'm not a great caster. Uh, <laughs> you know, my equipment's far from top notch. Um, so I've kind of had to and, and been forced to, and not only that, but just like a true believer in the mental side, I think it's the biggest side of fishing, like wholeheartedly. I think simply knowing what you're doing, having confidence in what you're doing and, and keeping your head in the right place, I think is far more important than anything else. Because I will tell you right now, from a technical standpoint, um, from an understanding electronics standpoint um, and, and, you know, a lot of other different parts of, of fishing, I was far from, if not, bottom 25% of anglers in this, in this field. Um, I, but I really do feel like I I really figured out kind of how to approach tournament from the mental side. And I think it's just been huge for my tournament success. Um, so to get back into day two, um, yeah, I I catch that six pounder. You kind of hit the reset button, catch that big one on the popper. And this one, you know, thank the Lord. Got it. Good. God, <laughs> You're I like, thank thing. God at that point. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I leaned into that thing. She jumped, kind of crapped myself about how big the fish was. She jumps again, and the bait is just nowhere to be seen. And I was like, oh. you know, just yeah. the biggest relief. Get that thing in the boat, and it's just down there. It was an amazing moment, and it just, I mean, talk about going from you know down in the depths to just complete flip the script. I mean, I was riding my high horse feeling confident. And what it really did for me is it kind of enforced that, you know, I'm going to stay shallow all day, forget those pound and a quarter deep fish. We're going to stay shallow all day and just run banks and and kind of see what happens. Um, And I actually went probably half hour, 45 minutes without another bite or without another keeper bite. Um, And then turned a corner off the bank I was fishing and broke off like a four pound largemouth under a dock. 
So it's like, at this point, I'm sitting there. My buddies are behind me. I got two in the boat for seven and a half pounds. And I'm going, dude, I should be done. Like, we should be done fishing today. Um, but I think just having that giant fish in there and knowing that even if I filled out a limit with pound and a half, pound and a quarter fish, I'd have a solid chance at fishing the next day. Um, and I, it just, I never worried. My mindset stayed clear all day. Um, went around a corner, caught a four pounder and it was like, okay, like we're just rolling now. Um, that I caught that one on a chatter bait. Weirdly enough, I was really just like, kind of what I was saying earlier, just fishing the conditions. If I pulled up and I, I was just putting the trolling motor down and going too. like, I wasn't, there you're was no fishing off your gut. Like you're like, Oh, yeah. I need to set this down, pick this up and I'm probably going to get bit. And then you did. Yeah. Because Into- of what was going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like I said, I mean, I just put trolling motor down and just went like I, that after, <laughs> before I put that six pounder to about three hours later, I don't think I picked up the trolling motor. Like I just went and just went with the creeks, fished the main lake pocket, fished a creek, fished a point, like just, just covering. Yeah. Just covering. And I think because of the fall and, you know, this time of the year on a Carolina Lake, like, dude, you, I mean, they're so scattered. It's so random that just doing that, I don't know. You run into fish um, and, and, you know, you'll go 30 docks without a bite and then you'll get two bites. So it's just kind of staying in that mental space where, you, you know, I'm confident I'm going to catch fish. Um, I had a little bit of like starting to worry right before we had this mandatory midday break at 11. I think I was still sitting on three, three for 11 pounds, which was about what you needed every day. Um, but I was like, you know, I need to fill out this limit. Luckily, went in the back of the pocket right before the break, filled out the limit with two pound and a quarter fish, and kind of was rolling after that. Um, you know, I, I just really kind of kept my head down, stayed committed, and at the very end of the day, probably 15 minutes to go, caught a three and a half um, on the plopper, back of a pocket. And, yeah, it was it was a special day, just a, just a meant-to-be day. I felt like I should have had, like, 21. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or or more, right? For yeah. based on what you're saying. So I have a interesting question here for you, right? Yeah. As as we're going through here, at the beginning of the show, you said that you're like a finesse fisherman, which resonates a ton with offshore fishermen. But mm-hmm. for some of the viewers here who don't know, your '96 Ranger only has one graph on it, right? At the council, not even a bow graph. So. As I'm sitting here listening to you talk about day one and graphing offshore looking for spots, I'm like, how the heck did he line up? Could Do you have like a gimbal mount on your council graph to turn it around so you can see what's going on in the front? Or are you just like, I think it's here and just sending a prayer with that Carolina rig and catching them. <laughs> and then it really sounds like to me is moving to the Carolinas and going to college in the Carolinas, right? You've become more of like a Carolina style fisherman, which a lot of those guys are such good jig, shallow mm. water, power fishermen, because those big largemouth from everything I've read and seen always come from shallower waters in the Carolina Reservoir Lakes, especially in that clear water. Yeah. Like like Hartwell, for example, whenever you see a giant come out of Hartwell, it's always a largemouth underneath this shallow dock. Yeah. So it's like you, the growth of the angler that you have seen in yourself in the four years mm-hmm. of college probably is probably crazy compared to where you were back in Jersey to now. 
Oh, a- absolutely. Um, and so a lot of good questions there. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, so it's interesting. I feel like I'm a very uh, unorthodox and unique fisherman in that um, I really am. A, I, I love finesse fishing. Um, I love downsizing my line. I love all of that. And I'm like fully dedicated and a believer in it. But at the same time, kind of like we're saying, like I'm very, as far as, you know, just what I have resources to technologically kind of disabled in a way, honestly. Um, so it kind of puts me in this weird place where honestly at heart, I am a shallow water, ultra finesse kind of guy, which in this area really is kind of a weird place to be. Um, and tournaments where that works do line up. Um, it's not frequent, but it, it absolutely does line up. I mean, I can think about Lake Norman tournaments where everybody's, you know, burning a crankbait in, in February, catching them, you know, however they catch them, where Trevor is in chat. And I have almost won $10,000 tournaments, thrown a Ned Rig on six pound tests in the cleanest water in the lake in two inches of water. It's, I'm, I, it's a weird kind of way to go about it. Um, but to answer your question about lining up on offshore stuff, I honestly was just throwing out a marker buoy. Um, ah, the old school orange marker buoy. I love it. Yeah. So, so you- I would simply just line up with the way the wind was blowing at me, cut the motor off at about 120, 100 foot out, chuck that thing out there and sit on top of it and throw straight into the wind. And that's kind of how I do it. <laughs> love it. I love it. And I can't wait to talk about like the 96 Ranger here after we get through day three, but how you're going to adjust to the nice consolation prize that you won besides the Bassmaster Classic, but the pretty much fully rigged out boat. We're going to dive into that here in a little bit in the show, but um, let's jump into day three. From everything that I've read, it was a much tougher day on the water. Emotions were high. Going into it, you're sky high. Everything that you did wrong didn't sink you, so your confidence had to have been like through the roof. You're like, I got this. If I can get them to bite that dang whopper plopper and get it good, I'll be okay. So let's dive right into day three from your standpoint in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, everything you just said is completely accurate. (laughs) But for some reason, and I don't know if this is a life thing or a tournament thing or, or what it was, um, I woke up that morning and just had this kind of, and I don't, I really don't believe it was nerves because I felt good and confident and, you know, I felt like I was positive and was going to have a good day and was kind of just as, you know, affirmative in myself and with my buddies and my family that I was going to win. it. I, I, I had full confidence, but I just had this weird knot in my stomach that it was not going to be easy. You know, it, I, it was almost like the day before was too easy. Um, and, and I was like, you know, you're kidding yourself if you think it's going to be the same. Because the day before, I, it was so good that as far as getting big bites that I thought kind of everyone was catching them. And then to come back and be like, whoa, back down to earth, you know, I might have just ran into something today. You know, it's kind of a weird situation. Um and then I kind of realized that, you know, it's there's going to be some trials and tribulations. You don't get to the Bassmaster Classic and, you know, win all the crazy stuff that I've been 
lucky enough to win um, without a little bit of, uh, you know, rocks in the road kind of a yeah. deal. So Nothing like trials and adversity. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, it couldn't have been easy. This is especially with me. I feel like I'm that kind of person where it's just it can't be easy. That's, that's um, fishing, man. That's fishing. Yeah. It's never easy, especially when you get into multi-day events. Yeah, because conditions on an hour by hour, second by second standpoint, day by day, are constantly changing. So my first question for day three: Were the conditions different on day three than day two, and how? Absolutely, and. and- Kind of go back on what you said about multi-day tournaments. I was sitting there I, before we even took off going, like, not upset, but just kind of sitting there like, man, if this is a normal three-day tournament and weights carried over, I need to catch, like, four or five pounds today. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'd be rolling. Um, so, yes, um, the conditions were different. The wind was howling from the get-go. Um, not quite like it was. In Thursday on Thursday and Friday, um, the practice day and then the canceled day. Um, but it was, I mean, steadily 10 to 15, at least for the first kind of three quarters of the day. Um, and it was blowing right on the bank that I'd caught him on the day before. Mm. And not really that I had planned to go back there. More so what I kind of planned to do was to just pick up where I left off on that bank and keep going. Um, and it just, it, the wind wasn't – it was kind of howling so much that I kind of really couldn't get a good plopper bite going. It was almost too much wind to really get that going. Um, I, don't, I didn't feel like they could kind of recognize it. So what I ended up doing was try and skip a lot of docks with a chatterbait, which was a dock. It, it was a bite that I kind of keyed in on but never really capitalized on and um, was dealing with a lot of short strikes and – I, I don't know. I just didn't feel very, very confident about it. Um, and by, I don't know, it was probably eight, nine o'clock. I mean, I was, I thought I was down the day before. I was like down. I had one in the boat for probably 13, 14 ounces, and that was it. No signs of better bites. Didn't get a better bite. Didn't see anything really convincing. Um, so I did something. I, I, I went back to the old trick, right? Hop in the boat, make a run. Only difference is this one, I didn't know where to go. <laughs> I didn't have a thought of where to go. The wind was kind of messing my deal up just because in the Carolinas in the fall, it's always a good thing to fish wind. But I felt like the baits that I could throw in the wind, that really heavy wind, that I could get a fish to notice and, and get a bite on, they didn't want to commit to. Chatterbait, spinnerbait. Um, so I was kind of like, I, I got to find just something different. We're in way up the lake. Not way up, but I don't know. As far as we're, you could possibly go is what you're saying. <laughs> Probably three, four miles. Not Nothing crazy. Um, just kind of change of scenery. Um, rolled up. Started fishing down the bank with that chatterbait. Nothing. Saw a dock, and there's a, a live clip. It's actually pretty cool because Polinick gave me a little credit for it. Um, but I, I'm going down this bank. There's this dock there, and I've been skipping the chatterbait under every dock. And I see this dock and it's blowing on it and it's windy and it's still early. You know, the sun's, there's not really a good shade line to get a good jig bite going. I go, you know what? It's probably too early for, I said this out loud. I go, it's probably too early for a jig, but can't hurt to try. Skip under there, catch a pound and a half. It was like, okay. Like, the intuitiveness is back. It's yeah. like, all right, now now the lights are going off. Yeah. Like, ooh. Then, so what was your process after catching that fish on a jig? What did you do to switch 
to the jig bite because I know that's what you did on day three. You fished a jig basically the rest the rest of the duration of the tournament at that point, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I definitely, especially for the next couple of hours, I tried to keep a bunch of different things honest. Um, you know, I, I caught that fish on the jig and I said, you know what? It hasn't I have not gotten a good jig bite, like a singular all week. And that was the first one I've got. He ate it, he swam off with it, he had it good. So, you know, maybe there's a jig bite today. Um, but with how random things have been and how random things can be, I kind of kept things honest for a while, kept burning down the bank, and went another hour and a half, two hours of nothing. So I went from like optimistic morning, dark, pull up, there's the spark, then two hours dark. So it was like starting to just feel weird. And it was probably 45 minutes until the uh, midday break deal. I'm just, I'm just feeling off. Like, you know what? What I think I got to do right now, I have two fish in the boat and, and no signs of anything else happening. Didn't get another jig bite, another top water bite, kind of nothing. I'm going to run to one of my Carolina rig holes and just get a fish in the boat. And I pulled up there and there it was like pulling teeth. I mean, I, I dragged for 10 minutes without a bite. And I said, last cast threw out there, caught like a 12 ouncer. And I was like, okay. You know what? It's a fish. It's number three. I'm weighing this fish. I'm getting out of here. I was I just needed that like little something. Um, so I catch that one, roll over to a stretch of docks that had been kind of okay throughout the week. Just just it was out of the wind and the sun had started beating on it. And it was actually a dock that I, I missed a couple fish off of that I felt like were small spots, but I was like, you know what, screw it. I'll I'll pull up on this dock. Pull up on it, skip that jig under there. And this was probably 25, 30 minutes before the break. Um, skip up under there, catch a two and a half on it. And then I'm like, okay. Like, now they're, I, I'm, I'm pretty feeling pretty dang good that there is a jig bite. Um, I'm always kind of the person that I kind of need three bites to really feel confident about locking a bait in my hand, especially in the fall. Um, you know, in the springtime, you, you can get two bites and be like, you know what? This is something I can roll with. I'm going to put it down and practice. In the fall, I feel like you need like overwhelming evidence to make yourself feel like this is something I can run with. Um, so I got those two. Hey, what's up, John? Um, I got two solid jig bites, a pound and a half and a two and a half. And I'm like, okay, I got to roll with that. Um, kind of go through the couple more docks, catch my fifth keeper, and then it's break time. So it was like a complete flip from really dark to, you know, we, we got something going. We have a limit. It was like six and a half pounds, nothing crazy. But I I felt really good going into the break. Um, and one little interesting note about the bracket is most people, if not everybody but me in this tournament, accept um, a weight update from who they're fishing against. And I never did. I never wanted it and never took it. So there's this break and I'm sitting there to myself going, okay, you're down. You know, you're down. You need two or three more good bites, but at least we've got some momentum. Little did I know I was like four ounces back. So kind of an interesting dynamic. If you watch back on live, it's really interesting because all day I'm just sitting there going, you're down. You need one more bite. You need two more bites. Whereas really the whole time I was kind of in it. Um, and had no idea. Um, so after fishing that little stretch, I run up the lake, um, 
kind of run a, a couple of different things, just some more like quieter pockets. Um, and then kind of getting back to what I'm really passionate about. And, and this is where I was like, starting to kick myself. Cause like, man, you got sucked into that jig, but I pull up on a little stretch that I hadn't seen all week. I went as far up the lake as I'd been all week. Um, and weirdly enough, it was cleaner water. That was a whole weird thing that I figured out the last day, but <laughs> didn't matter. Um, interesting. Roll, yeah. Really interesting. Um, but I roll up on this little stretch, don't get any bites the first couple of docks, and then like the third dock in. I'm normally I'm going, oh, I'm gonna skip a wackier gun on that. Super shallow. I was like, you know, I'm gonna try and get up a little closer to it and get this jig under there. And I start to go a little closer and two and a half pounder spooks out from under it. And I'm just like, if you just do what you do, you catch that fish. Like I'm kicking myself. But at the same time, I'm confident there's fish up. So, you know, it was kind of like a, you screwed up, but you, there's evidence that you're in an area where there's fish and you're kind of doing the right deal. Um, so I keep going down the bank and then, dude, it was like another half hour. It's like, we're getting like hour and a half left kind of conversations. I'm still sitting on like six and a half pounds. Um, and I, I like the, the demons start creeping in, dude, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, It'd be real easy to give up right now, but I, I kind of the second is like so bizarre. Like the voices in your head throughout a tournament, it's like the second I kind of like said to myself, like "f that, get that out of your head." Like you're gonna catch them next dot, catch two and a half, ends up being the winning fish. <laughs> um, so it's kind of just wild how it all worked out. Um, you know, if, if you've seen some of the video or, or kind of watched the reveal and all that. I was still very, I ended up catching another one later in the day that called me up a couple more ounces, but I was still very convinced and, and in my heart, like knew that I had lost. Um, so it was kind of a wild, just ride of emotions that whole last kind of hour. Um, but yeah, no, I, I ended up getting it done and it was kind of the purest form of shock that you could have at the, the boat ramp that day. Yeah, it, it's kind of crazy to think about, like, the whole tournament fishing aspect, too, is you never know. Like, even if you think you won, usually you lose when you're like, mm-hmm. I got this in the bag, especially in, like, single-day tournaments. But, like, it's when you have that cast of doubt, you're like, well, it was really tough, but I don't know. I don't think I had enough. And then all of a sudden you're surprised. It, it's kind of yeah. it's kind of crazy how it all works out. But Mr. Higgs has a really good question here. He goes, yeah. if you don't get any bites on a stretch of docks, do you turn around and go back through or do you head to a new stretch? And it sounds like you kind of just kept powering through in this tournament. But yeah. in, the, in the general concept, what do you normally do in that situation? It, I mean, that is a, a great question in that it is so complex and hard to answer. Um, but it's a great question. For me personally, it, it depends on a couple of things. Um you know, in the, in the scenario where I don't get any bites, most of the times probably not, um, unless I saw a fish. Now, it's a totally different story if it's, you know, a tournament that I practiced for and I'd found them on a stretch, gotten a, b- a lot of bites off of, especially a tougher one where it's like this was a great stretch for me in practice. I, I shook off five fish here and I just went down it with the same bait and didn't get a bite. That's something I'm going back on and and hitting a lot harder with something way finessier. Um, 
you know, I, I will go as finesse as I have to if I don't get any bites on the first pass. And I'm I'm very confident there's still fish there. Um, but, man, it's, it's such a feel thing. Um, you know, you find a lot of times that it could be time of day that has fish positioned on a certain set of docks. It could be wind direction. Um, there's certain times where, you know, I, I'll find a great stretch of docks where I'll either see fish or have gotten bites in the past or, you know, whatever the case may be. But if I roll up in the tournament and fish down them and the wind's blowing in, in an opposite direction or something, that's kind of a situation where it's like, okay, you know, we're going to wait for the right condition, but right now we can't go back down that stretch because it's just not set up right. Dock fishing. Got to love yeah. it. <laughs> it's, it's about as complex a game as, as – um, it can be, and, and for for someone from the Northeast like myself to really dial it in, um, I, I honestly haven't. Um, but I feel like I've learned a lot in the last couple of years. And honestly, the best thing I can tell you is that it depends. Um, but I will say that I'm the kind of person that, especially if I feel like they haven't been spooked, and for some reason I, I either know they're there from visually seeing them, or I feel like from practice they're still there. I'll do just about everything I can if I think they're the winning fish to go back through and try and catch those fish. Yeah. Have you ever tried to drop shot on a dock? So, yes. Um, it's kind of weird. I Growing up up north, um, I, like, came down here being a drop shot guy. Like, I love to fish a drop shot, you know, whether it be a robo worm or, um, God, so many different great drop shot baits out there. Um, but I was a big drop shot guy coming down South and I don't know what happened, but for some reason, the last four years, it's, I've gone from drop shot guy to almost completely Ned rig, wacky rig guy. Hmm. I will throw a wacky rig like 12 months out of the year. I, <laughs> I don't know why, but if I don't catch them on a wacky rig, I'll catch them on a Ned rig. Um, I, I've just become for some reason, like something about a slow fall bait, um, just it, it feels right to me and I, I mean I will I will get grossly finesse with a wacky rig to the point where I mean I'll throw like a three inch wacky rig around in, in ultra clear finesse kind of spooky scenarios um but yeah no I, I I used to I used to be a, a diehard drop shot guy and I for some reason or another I've really gotten away from it hmm. just saw that ask Ned rig that's <laughs> I hate throwing a Ned Rig, and we do it all the time for smallmouth, and it drives me nuts. I love it. <laughs> I don't know why well, I love it. And I don't know why I hate it. It gets a lot of big bites, right? Like yeah. something this big will catch the biggest fish in the lake, and it's just like, what the heck? We had uh, – I don't want to say his name wrong. I think it was Matt Thompson from Minnesota, on, and he basically catches lunker in like every tournament that he fishes in Minnesota. And guess what his big fish bait is? Ned Rig. Ned Rig. And he's a ex-musky, like, big-time musky angler, which is really funny. Like, <laughs> we're going into it, and we're like, oh, man, he's catching on, like, giant baits. And he learned how to, like, isolate single big bass to come and eat a giant bait. He's like, no, I catch him on a hair jig and a Ned Rig. And we're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, dude, I don't know what it is about that thing, but especially, especially on smallmouth. It catches big ones. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know what it is. I mean, I I like to 
quote unquote brag because it's like the only bit I've ever caught multiple big fish on. But you know, if you don't, for, for anyone listening, if you don't believe that an Edward can be a big fish bait, I think it's the only singular bait that I've caught five pound largemouth, smallmouth, and spotted bass on. Yeah, so it's, it's a tool. Yeah, and to become versatile, you need to know every tool. So that that is awesome. So um, next thing, right? Bassmaster yeah. Classic qualifier. <laughs> How are you feeling about walking across? that big stage dreams come true. Like yeah. it's like to a bass fisherman, it's like a child wanting to go to Disneyland. Like you're going to the Disneyland of bass fishing, the world yeah. championship. Yeah. You have to be excited. I am stoked <laughs> to say the least. I, I'm absolutely psyched. Um, you're right. It, it is a dream. It's, it's a lot, you know, ever since I started tournament fishing, when I was 13 or 14 years old. Um, it's been just a dream of mine. Um, so, honestly, I, I, I have it has not set in the slightest. Um, so, if I'm being completely honest, yeah, I kind of it hasn't hit me that I'm fishing the classic. Yeah, you know, I've kind of come to terms with the fact that I won the tournament, and I guess I'm sort of somebody in the industry these days. But uh, no, <laughs> that, 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 I'm starting to you know once I started getting W nines and stuff, that was when I was like, oh wait, yeah, I, I guess uh, this is real. But yeah. <laughs> Not really. The, the classic part is not real. Uh, <laughs> it not, is not until you're there, part. right? And it's the media day and all that nonsense that goes on beforehand. It's it's a show with a tournament. Yeah. It's not a tournament. It's a show. Yeah. Um, so. And I've I've been lucky enough to beat it to, to get at three or four of them. Um, and you know, so I I just to have been in the crowd and, and know what it's, you know, kind of like, I can't imagine what it's going to be like walking across the stage. I will say um, Luke Stoner, he's kind of my quote unquote manager um, for the year with dynamic sponsorships. He told me that, you know, he's been doing this number of years, a bunch of college guys. And he said, dude, if it hasn't set in yet, it's not going to, he said, I've been doing this for a couple of years now. And every college guy has told me until you walk across that stage, it's not real. So, yeah. uh, I guess I guess that's kind of what's going to happen. <laughs> gotcha. So, um, no, we're going to talk about the boats real fast before I hit you yeah. with the, the last question so I can let you get on to the Yankees game because <laughs> I know you're watching it there in the background, I'm sure. And hopefully, I, I am not. And I have uh, a feeling, thanks to Trevor's comment, yeah. it's a good thing. But when he says we'll that, I checked, it's one nothing Guardians. But, oh, um, okay. So fine. Not, but that's yeah. the, like little sidebar. Garrett, Cole, it's Garrett Cole, right? The guy that yeah. they paid three hundred million to from Houston. I'm, I love baseball, but I'm not like individually invested in one team over another. Like okay. Pujols walking off and retiring and getting over seven hundred home runs is just. I'm an overall baseball fan. I love the sport. Yeah, but um, Garrett Cole. You're either gonna get a really good game out of him in the playoffs, or he's gonna. Have, let eight home runs happen so I know. you don't know which gear Cole you're getting and i hope uh for yankees fans and <laughs> the like three quarters of the u.s population that roots for the yankees <laughs> it seems i hope he yeah. turns it around and but uh for my grandfather he's a huge cleveland guardians fan when they were the indians i don't know if he is anymore but yeah. uh yeah i grew up rooting for the indians so it's kind of funny the buffalo bisons here were yeah the indians farm team and i got to see who was it? Manny Ramirez, who was the oh big right God. fielder. He, yeah, I, I got to watch him play in Buffalo for like two years. When he Dude, was that there. is awesome. So it's it's kind of crazy to 
think back and look at that when I was like seven years old, that eight years awesome. old going to Bison's games. But um, do you think you'll get your seats fixed in your Ranger and fish the classic out of the Ranger or the night that sweet nitro that you won? So I I, I believe um, you're kind of forced. <laughs> not only do I, uh, I think, have to fish out of the nitro, but um, I, I kind of uh, proclaimed on my way down to Greenwood. I was kind of looking at, you know, looking at the old Ranger in the rear view, and it's the only boat I've ever owned that I've ever ran. Um, I was kind of looking at her in the rear view, going, "Man, win, lose, or draw." You know, I'm planning on hitting the open sometime in the next couple of years. I think this is this is the last two raw as far as the big last ride. Go. So I, I think this this past tournament was her ride off in the sunset. Um, that's not to be to be said that she won't be seen. I'm, I'm kind of trying to work on getting her to the classic in in some sort of fashion. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. too far from you either, from Carolina. Yeah. So it's like what three and a half, four hours probably yep. at most. Exactly. So yeah, it'll be um, be cool to see the old relic. Are you going to keep the tarnished seats the same when you bring her up? absolutely incredible <laughs> incredible absolutely. so like that that's just the coolest part is the fact of the ranger in the boat that you want out and i'm sure the guys that you're fishing against had like shinier newer boats <laughs> and here comes this guy and like i said at the beginning i, I don't know if i said at the beginning of the show or offline but like just the nostalgia of getting your butt whipped by that guy in the old school boat <laughs> it's like damn <laughs> like that's the easiest way i can put it so it's just it's, like, dang it is i mean even you know from from my perspective um yeah having having a, a ranger a fiberglass 17 foot boat um you know we got guys in our club at charlotte that are running aluminum john boats and stuff and you know they'll roll up and beat your ass so. oh yeah oh yeah you gotta watch out those are the sneaky guys because they'll get yeah. in areas that you can't get in and they know what's up yeah so. It, it's kind of funny how you have to play very coy with those guys that show up. The old school mentality fishermen, they will put a beat down. They might not win every tournament, but when they do, they put a beat down on you. Yeah. Too. It's kind of that, funny. That's so, exactly what it is. Um, before I hit you with the final question, is there anything else you want to hit on while we have you on here, Lewis? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> it, it's been a, it's been a special year. It's It's been awesome. I, I kind of, can't go anywhere, whether it be on a podcast or a show, without thanking a bunch of people. Um, and especially, you know, I got a lot of the uh, Biz Bates crew and the staff, so I got to thank those, or not the staff, in the comments. Um, shout out those guys. Shout out for Trevor for updating me that we're tied now in the game. Awesome. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, just a, an awesome company that anyone that's uh, kind of listening in, I, I definitely suggest you guys try out our stuff. I, I work there now, and everything we make is, is top-notch. Um, and check out these guys, Fat Bass Apparel. They make some awesome clothes that uh, I definitely suggest you guys uh, wear. And if you want to, follow me on Instagram. It's Lewis underscore Manetti. I make some funny memes and try to have a good time on my social media. Which I should say, I believe, down below in the show description, if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, all the links to Lewis's social media is there. So Sweet. you can circle back and go check it out. So... But uh, final question time that you are not prepped for. Are you ready? Yeah. Cue the drum roll. All right. So um, <clears throat> the question is, 
from any time in history, from now or before Christ, right? You can choose three people, have a steak and a beer, bring them to the dinner table. Doesn't have to be fishing, sports. It could be literally anyone. Who are your three mm. people you would bring and why? Got to be at the same dinner table? Yeah. All at the mm. same time. Mm. That's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's why we don't prep you for it. <laughs> I like it. Um, I think just because of my uh, addiction slash passion to fishing, I have to keep it fishing themed. Okay. Although uh, there's definitely some some cool baseball and I guess kind of historical figures I could add. But uh, number one is definitely Brian Kirchel. Um, he's top of the list for me. I mean, just being a Northeast guy and oh yeah. Uh, you know, having kind of coming from small beginnings and small town dream. I mean, there's no better story in fishing than that. Um, I got to have Ike in there just because he's my guy. Um, Jersey guy, you know, I've been lucky enough to kind of get to know him lately. Um, but he's the man. He's, he's just got to be there. And then, I don't know, man. Give me like a, give me like a bill dance. Why not? Or, hey, yeah, why not? See guy. Classic yeah, kind of, bill dance, the classic stuff. I mean, good connection. Yeah, I mean, just kind of history. I, I want to hear some stories about like rolling up to Toledo Bend five years after it was dammed, and like, what was that like? Yeah. You know, just some Without stuff. Like any that. like GPS mapping chips and how many trees took out boat motors and killed yeah. people? Yeah, yeah, just nuts. I think that'd be a, a good conversation. So yeah, those are my three: Kirchel, Iconelli, Dance. Heck yeah, man. That, that'd be quite the interesting dinner. It would. Quite the interesting dinner. Well, I want to say thank you for joining, Lewis. I will yeah. let you run now and uh, go catch your Yankees game. Um, I will see you at the Classic. I know I will be there in uh, Knoxville at Fort Loudon. And uh, look forward to meeting you, man, connecting. And congratulations. Good luck in the Opens next year because it sounds like that's where you're heading. After yep. the big win, and uh, go put on a show at the classic man, show them what old school is all about in the new school nitro. And we're gonna uh, try, we'll, we'll be cheering for you, buddy, dude. Thank you so much. And yeah. uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited for that. I, I look forward to meeting you, man. Yeah, sounds good. Well, you have a good night and uh, go Yankees, you too, buddy. I yeah, agree. Let's we'll go talk, Yanks. Yeah, we'll <laughs> talk soon. All right, see you, buddy. Yeah, well, thank you everyone for tuning in. Awesome, awesome show having Louis Minetti on here talking about his uh, college classic bracket championship heading to the Bassmaster Classic. What a surreal feeling that has to be for him. Um, just real quick, though, for those who are new here, and if you're still tuned in, please hit the subscribe button down below. Uh, the MP3 will be up tomorrow morning if you are watching on YouTube and you want to re-listen. Um, we will have an episode on Friday. That will be announced on Thursday who it will be. And then another Lure Lab show Saturday morning at 6 a.m. But until next Tuesday night live, have a good night. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more. 
which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.